0: I was recently calling my physician's office to get in for a yearly checkup, get my yearly prescription refilled. Anyway, so I was thinking about that, and then this week, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden hung himself after taking some Ativan. Apparently, he had an amazing show just hours before, the reviews are great, and then the whole press has been on this and it's been big news and the press has been pretty accurate in saying that someone's who already depressed and suicidal if you take drugs like Adivan, it can end up impairing your judgment of course anybody's seen benzodiazepines in use knows it can impair people's judgment and so if you already have the desire to kill yourself perhaps it could lower your inhibition and make you act on your impulses. Who knows? I don't know exactly what happened with this rocker, but clearly he ended up hanging himself, according to news reports, and had taken some Ativan prior to that, and maybe there's a lot of other factors that are involved. I'm sure there always is. I like Soundgarden's music. I'm not a huge fan. My my wife loves them. She plays them a lot, so I've heard a lot of their CDs, and, and I find them pretty good, particularly if you're in the mood for it at the time. Most people have heard of Soundgarden, and, uh, you know, pretty loud, heavy, big sound, somewhat dark mood, but can totally hit the spot if you're in the right mood for it, or if you're a big fan, you get the idea. So what does that have to do with my physician? So I love my doctor, he is an absolutely great internist, he's part of this huge large ever-growing group taken over by ever-growing bigger groups. And now they have a big call center and it literally took me about 40 to 45 minutes to get someone to answer the phone when I called a few weeks back for an appointment. So anyway, these phone centers, as a lot of you know, are now located actually in a different state. So it's not Like it's in Colorado Springs, where I live, that I'm actually talking to someone in the front office. It's somebody in Oklahoma or wherever. And then when I get an appointment, it's usually several months out, and then I just run into my internist, wherever, doing medical rounds or, you know, wherever. And he ends up saying, oh, no, just come in on Monday, and I usually get in. But I still don't like to use that method first line, even though I see a lot of doctors and their spouses. And they have no problem texting me to get in. But I don't know. Just Even though we have those connections, it just seems like we should go through the regular routes. Not that I really care when my friends use those methods. But anyway, so I'm thinking about Chris Cornell and a lot of these drugs um, like Ativan and SSRIs. And if you look on the package inserts, they say, if you're feeling suicidal, call your doctor. Now, I don't know what time... Chris Cornell killed himself, but it sounds like it was after one of his shows at night. And let's say it was even midday. Let's say he was feeling suicidal at noon, and he had the sense in his head that he should call his primary care office. I doubt that would happen, but if he did, he probably would have ended up being more frustrated and even more suicidal Um, Unless you're one of those really rare offices these days that puts you right through to the doctor. Yeah, right. Like that ever happens. Pretty much your best case scenario is usually that your doctor will get back to you in a couple days, probably through a portal or electronic health note more and more often. And frequently that note will end up saying call for an appointment, which means, you know, wait forever and then probably if you're a really good physician, you're several months out of weight, which is bad for medicine and bad for physicians and patients. But the reality is a lot of towns like the one I live in, it's a really long wait to get into primary care. And I know that's a problem across the country. And so the medicine that I get refilled every year with my internist is Ambien for sleep. And i am just an insomniac and if you want to see someone that does get depressed or agitated don't let me have my ambien and give me some call days and get my circadian rhythm off and don't let me sleep for a few days and uh, i think my judgment gets off from a medical standpoint and probably just not a great person to be around so i think ambien has an opposite effect to me but obviously if you look in the package insert there's a lot of problems with ambien one of them can be depression and suicidal thoughts and then memory loss, anxiety, even severe allergic reactions or doing really weird, bizarre behaviors that everybody has read about with Amy. And I guess some people get out on the road and drive while they're still asleep. And then at the bottom, it explains all these reactions that you can have. And then it says, and I'm quoting them from the package insert, Call your doctor right away if you have any of the above side effects or any other side effect that worry you while using Ambien. And I am not one that usually is going to go against package, insert, written down advice, but my God, if you are having a severe allergic reaction, do not call your primary care office, okay? Call 911, tell them to have the epinephrine in their hand as they are entering your house and likewise if you're feeling really suicidal I'm not sure that calling your primary care doctor is going to be the best first call that you can do because I remember calling my primary care physician office not too long ago to get in for this appointment and I was actually in a pretty good mood until I made that call. I literally, I turned on a Netflix documentary about five minutes into the call. I just put it on speakerphone and I got about halfway through. And while I was listening, there was about a thousand reminders. The main theme of the call while waiting was why I should consider joining the anticoagulation at so-and-so practice, which was funny because I knew yeah, actually, that anticoagulation clinic had just closed about two months prior. So this is a very big practice, actually a national group, I'm not going to name it, that my internist practice got bought from. So the they closed the anticoagulation clinic because they don't make any money these days. And so all these patients across the city who are part of this anticoagulation clinic are just scrambling to try and find places where they can get their... INR checked on a frequent basis. And I'm thinking, my God, if I was needing an anticoagulation clinic to check my blood thinning levels, I would be going nuts right now listening for 40 minutes about an anticoagulation clinic you're asking me to join that you just kicked me out of two months ago. And you can just imagine how frustrated those particular patients are. I bet they won't change that weight line information for probably two more years that patients are going to have to listen to the anticoagulation they got kicked out of that the wait lines telling them to join. That's probably recorded five years ago. Point being, no newsflash to anybody. Access to primary care is becoming such a huge problem. Now, I know lots of people, including physicians even, who have just given up and purely use urgent care's because of the hours and convenience and not needing an appointment. Not great for chronic diseases, but they say, well, if I have to wait four months anyways for my chronic disease, I still might as well use an urgent care. And some of the urgent cares are learning to adapt to this. Anyway, I've never felt suicidal, thank God. Um, I've had a few down days like I think every human has. I don't think I've ever truly suffered terribly from depression, but have been... Pretty depressed on certain days. Anyway, point being is if I was feeling suicidal, probably the worst thing I would ever do is read a package insert for one of these medications. And maybe the last thing I would do is call my primary care physician office. And so, really, what these inserts should say is maybe get yourself immediately to an urgent care or call a family member immediately to come be with you. Or there's also these suicide prevention. Hotlines. In fact, there's National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Actually, it's called the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that is this national network of local crisis centers and gives you free, confidential, emotional support and I'm sure tells you what the next steps to do that are much better than calling the MA at your primary care provider office holding on the line forever only to get an appointment probably after being told to get an appointment through a portal note several days later and then getting seen three months later. That's not going to work. I don't know. I need to find out more what the suicide prevention lifelines actually say. Maybe they do just say what the typical primary care doctor, I know I say this to my patients that I prescribe antidepressants particularly for the first time too. we all know that antidepressants can lower the suicide threshold for various reasons we don't want to get into that right now but basically the er is this backstop and so it is open 24/7 but listen i mean they can be extraordinarily depressing places i, I can't even imagine if i was severely depressed then having to sit in an er bed sometimes for days on end we all know that mental health in emergency rooms, understandably, is not great. We need a better solution in this country. And obviously, a lot of people talk about that appropriately. But the thing is, is like even one of my very close relatives last summer in a big city, not my city, went to a famous university hospital in the city because she was having chest pain and she had slightly elevated troponin, sat in an ER bed for 22 hours okay not being bought food very much um it just was really a disaster but i guess it's a normal day for that er came to find out and i feel bad for the patients but geez i i feel bad for the doctors and nurses who are working in that environment my god the compassion fatigue in just a pretty good environment can be bad enough you know i think Everybody goes through at least a few days a year, if not some people totally all the time, who just have this attitude of, you know, I'm here to save your ass, not kiss it. But I get both sides because the customer service in the medical field in a lot of places is just eroding more and more. And I don't want to get into the reasons for it. And a lot of you have heard my lectures on mergers and acquisitions and the healthcare consumer. So go to that for more what I consider uh, facts, but some opinions as well. But everybody becomes the patient and everybody has problems. Even these rockers, it seems like a lot of them from really the 1990s grunge scene, but all the time, all these people that you think they have a really free lifestyle and that would make them happy. I don't know, maybe it's the um, lack of chains to society that make them unhappy. I don't know what's causing all this depression and rock and roll, but doesn't seem to be a new thing or going away. But it's also clearly a major issue around the country where suicide is, has been a bad issue and seems to be getting worse. I was just reading some articles where it's now the 10th leading cause of death, and they say suicide rates in the U.S. have surged to a 30-year high. It appears there's a lot of despair out there and the way people are dealing with the despair is self-destructive behaviors and that can include suicide. And I think it would take a lot of reflection as to why this is happening and also I think a lot of blame can go around. And I don't know, Chris Cornell, he's on Ativan as a young man. I am not second-guessing his medical care. You know, I think some of these things where we have guidelines. And I was saying, I have insomnia. Pretty common issue. And when you look at the guidelines, it says everybody should start with cognitive behavioral therapy treatment. And then obviously there's a lot of things that you need to do as far as not using screens at night and when you should go to bed and the schedules you should keep, which often is impossible, one for physicians, but people that work nights and have families that they got to take care of during the day and all kinds of issues that real life starts getting involved with. So there are some awesome guidelines out there. And then there's all these guidelines for things that we really don't have great answers even in the, in the guidelines. So let's take something like low back pain or my favorite, delirium in the hospital, right? Well, I mean, they basically tell you what not to do, which is true. I'm glad that's in the guidelines like don't use benzodiazepines in confused old people or it will make them more confused. That would be my experience and is true. But how do you really deal with delirium in the hospital once it gets bad? Well, you have to try and prevent it, but okay, let's say you try to prevent it and it gets bad. So you do all the things like open the shades to the window and let the sun shine in and tell the person where they're at and what day it is and then of course the guidelines say well make sure they're not in pain but don't use opioids as if tylenol is going to get rid of their hip fracture pain or whatever they have my point being that guidelines often don't have all the answers so maybe this guy chris cornell i have no idea what his medical problems were and what his mental health problems were but maybe Ativan was a reasonable solution for his particular situation. Obviously, didn't work out well at the end, and maybe in hindsight wasn't a good idea. But my point being is that a lot of these things are really, really complex. Yeah. Think about this thing. All right, uh, the delirium. Um, so that happens a lot in the hospital, as all hospitalist physicians, and nurses know, and anybody who really works in a hospital. I don't care if you're a unit secretary. You know all about hospital-based delirium because you hear it all day long and all nights long on certain wards on certain days. So <laughs> I had this friend, uh, he still works at the hospital. He's a CNA. He's a very funny guy. He's a big African American dude and just always tends to have a good sense of humor. But I was around, this was several years ago and I was asking about Miss So-and-so who I think had a hip fracture and he was watching her as a sitter. You know, a lot of CNAs in hospitals work as sitters for someone who's delirious or suicidal or whatever the reason is but he was watching her for many hours and I said hey how's miss so-and-so doing and he said to me Dr. Peratt your old frail white women that are confused they apparently don't like when big black guys tell them how to behave and I was just thinking about that thinking you know since we don't have a lot of great science as to what really works in hospital-based delirium Why aren't we using CNAs like this guy as part of the guidelines? There should be a paragraph at the end of it where it's like, yeah, we really, you know, we'll put out guidelines every year and we'll pay these guys to write them and all that. And we'll look at the data, you know, as if there's a lot of great data on really how to do this. There's probably really more opinions written by doctors who aren't sitting there all day long with these people. Well, there should be a paragraph like, Big Joe, that's not this guy's name. I don't want to use his name. You know, Big Joe's ideas for how to deal with this. And we probably would all be reading that paragraph and getting good ideas of it. You know, it's like, I'm a Jewish doctor and I can tell you that when you're taking care of white supremacists with the big Nazi tattoos, they don't like Jewish or Indian doctors and they don't want Rastafarian sitting with them if they came in high on meth and we have to watch them and they happen to need a sitter, you might want to think about which sitter to pick, but hey, sometimes you just don't have choices, and you get who you get, and you don't throw a fit, right? All right, as usual, probably going off on too many tangents here. So how do we wrap this up? Well, a few things. One, we know that the suicide rate has been increasing for a few decades now and is extremely tragic. And we know that the primary care, while has a role is not going to be effective in someone who is suicidal at that time. Now, the ER may be the place that a person has to be, but that does not seem like a very good solution. And I think all of the ER docs in my hospital agree with that, that sitting and watching somebody who's already extraordinarily depressed for Five or six days while they're trying to find a bed in a mental health facility that can take them is never a good solution for anyone, particularly the patient, but it doesn't work well for the health system either. And without question, the very most important thing to do in somebody that is suicidal is to immediately reduce that risk. That patient cannot be alone. There has to be someone with them, someone watching them. There can't be objects, including things they can hang themselves with, available to them, or any other sharp objects that could cause somebody to inflict self-harm if they were in that mindset. You have to respond quickly in a crisis, and obviously even things like guns. I'm a gun owner, and there's a lot of guys in this town who are from the military, a lot of guns in this town, but I don't care how big of a second amendment supporter you are if someone is suicidal the guns must be removed doesn't mean they ever can't not have them again but maybe they can't but they clearly cannot have them at a time when they are extremely depressed you've got to directly ask somebody if they are suicidal and you've then got to keep them safe whatever it takes And don't just assume that somebody is okay. Meaning, I mean, in this Chris Cornell case, he just literally rocked an arena with a show that apparently was terrific and then went to his hotel room and was suicidal. So we got to be there for people. We've got to listen to them very carefully about what they are thinking, what they are feeling. Take it all very seriously And hopefully we can start preventing more and more of these tragedies. It's just devastating. All right. So this is Gil Parat signing off. I'll catch you on the next round.